0: This is Mike Montero.
1: I'm Erica Hall.
2: This is Larissa Berger. We're broadcasting from Mule Design Studio in beautiful North Beach, San Francisco.
0: This is Voice of Design.
2: Yes. Hi. What? 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 Welcome to the voice of design.
0: America's most podcast. I don't know. We have a guest.
2: Our heater is still broken. This. (laughs) They came and fixed it. They put in a new motor.
0: You're getting exactly the content that you paid for, people. Because <laughs> it's free, and the, the explanation of jokes is coming as well. This is Mike,
2: <laughs> and I'm Larissa Berger, and, and today uh, we have
0: a very special guest. Today, we have Dave Dylan Thomas. Hello, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. So we met at a con. We met in Copenhagen. Yes, uh, at a conference, UX Copenhagen. Yeah, this early this year, it was freezing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. It, even for Copenhagen, they told me it was cold.
0: It was like minus four or something.
1: Yeah.
2: Ooh. Which
1: yeah. is nothing Wait, compared to Celsius? Chicago right now, but...
2: Celsius or Fahrenheit?
0: Celsius.
2: Okay. And then I don't know what that is. It's very I cold. Yeah.
0: Very cold. I mean, it's cold everywhere. I don't know if it'll be cold when this comes out. Who knows? Who, who even knows if this is going to come out? This is what? the mood I'm in today. What?
2: This is the East Coast edition of VOD. What do you mean? You I'm, are both from Philly, right? Yeah. And I'm from New Jersey.
0: Oh. Yeah, she's from New Jersey. Yeah. It is yeah. very
1: cold where we are all from right now. Yeah. Yeah. And but here it,
2: we are in California.
1: This is this is much better.
2: In beautiful, cloudy north beach.
1: It's like fifty.
0: In out our there. bunker
2: yeah. where the heat stopped working this week.
0: Yeah, it did. But, but it's, it's fifty. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fifty. Not that bad you really at all. can't
2: complain. It's like you, one more sweater. You can't <laughs>
0: yeah. get on a podcast that's gonna be heard across the country, including in places where it's st- Below freezing. Yeah, I know. And talk about how uncomfortable you are because the the heater broke and it's fifty outside.
2: Yeah, but now it's clear that I've definitely become a San Franciscan.
0: I am so <laughs> so, so sorry that you had to wear a light sweater today. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm just fascinated by how it keeps breaking. That's the engineering side of me. It's, it's what more keeps about breaking? that. I just I, I don't understand how it works the heater
0: well at some point today
2: we'll take it apart somebody's <laughs> going
0: to show up here and anyway we should really talk to Dave <laughs> Dave we met in Copenhagen yes you were talking about
1: cognitive bias, correct yes and uh, how it influences design how that how tell uh, us. Oh, what is
2: cognitive bias? There you start? go.
1: Sure. So um, let's pretend
0: that nobody in tech knows anything about cognitive bias.
1: Yes, let's and pretend. Think, yeah, that's yeah, let's the pretend case. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so cognitive bias, and uh, and for clarification, I will not pretend to be a uh, social scientist. I'm more of a fan who is you know, obsessively studied cognitive bias. But um, at the end of the day, your mind takes shortcuts just to get through the day. Like in any given day, your mind will go through, let's say a trillion decisions. Even like right now, I'm deciding where to put my gaze and where to move my hands and what words to come out of my mouth. And if I thought carefully about every single one of those decisions, I would just, you know, dissolve into a puddle of go. I would never get anything done. So for the most part, our mind goes on autopilot for those kinds of things. And it's great except when you have officer-involved shootings or gender bias in hiring. Like, that's when the shortcuts become harmful, and that's cognitive bias is sort of when that heuristic is uh, or that decision-making process turns into something that's actually causing problems. Mm-hmm. So is, is your brain just saying, let's do the thing we've always done in oh, this situation? Yes. Yeah. I, so, so for a little background here, I became kind of obsessed with cognitive bias after uh, a talk by Iris Bennett at south by southwest about gender bias and how it boils down to a lot of pattern recognition so if i'm hiring for a you know web developer and in my head when i think web developer i think you know skinny white dude with a goatee but i see a name at the top of that resume that doesn't match that even if i'm not explicitly anti-woman in the back of my head i'm still going to be a little more skeptical when i read that and when she sort of pointed out that pattern recognition Something as basic as that is responsible for so much injustice. I'm like, I need to learn everything I can about cognitive bias. Uh, And
2: and cognitive bias is really hard to measure, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Very difficult. You can see its results, right? Mm -hmm. And you can kind of measure those. But it's not the sort of thing where I can, like, point at your brain and be like, oh, you're cognitive biasing right now. (laughs) Right? Right.
2: And even, like, noticing it kind of introduces doubt. Or isn't that related to the Hawthorne effect? Or am I conflating
1: so I'm not Concepts. familiar with the Hawthorne effect, but I, what I can tell you is that um, there is- Wait a minute. What's even, the, so what's the Hawthorne effect yeah. then? You, you introduce something
0: into the room, you got to explain it. All right, Because right. I don't know what it is either.
2: The Hawthorne effect is like the act of observing. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there's a physics version of it too, the Heisenberg Uncertainty Principle. Heisenberg you uncertainty can, Principle, If you try to look yeah. at an electron, and you're the, actually going to change what you're trying to measure about it.
2: Which is also tied to Schrodinger's cat, which yeah. some- Dude decided to freaking mansplain to Zach, and he was just like, okay.
0: (laughs) How do you mansplain Schrodinger's cat? By the way, that's the title of this episode.
2: (laughs) By not not really understanding physics, but feeling like you could get it if you just acted confidently enough. It's funny because people explain things to Zach thinking he's the one in tech because he's a tall white dude, but he's he's just a liberal arts major, you know?
1: Yeah, he's the one with feelings. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's there's the bias right there. There is this thing called the actor-observer effect, and I, I love it because it's a story about uh, Clever Hans. Clever Hans was a horse that apparently could count, right, and do math. Go And on. so you would say, Clever Hans, tell me what's uh, <laughs> 2 plus intrigued. 2. Mike is intrigued. Right? And Clever Hans would clomp his foot four times and say, oh, what's uh, 4 plus 3? And it would clomp seven times and stop, right? And everyone was like, this is amazing. And so— some social scientists got in the room, started looking at this more carefully, and they watched. And what they realized was, when clever Hans started to get close to the right number, the body language of his owner would change just ever so slightly. But Hans, being clever, picked up on this and stopped when he got to the number that was pleasing its owner. And the way they could tell—my oh gosh—that's the if, best
2: cognitive bias story I've ever heard. So that's, yeah, it's awesome. crazy, right?
1: The owner had to tell. Yes, exactly. And horses can tell tells.
2: Yeah, they've got high emotional intelligence, not necessarily like math intelligence.
1: You
0: know what I found out is totally unrelated. By the way, we go on tons of tangents (laughs) Oh, no, this is how I operate.
2: (laughs) And we did cut them off. I cut them off. You cut them off. Yeah, that's my bad. Yeah, we call that— I'll get a demerit for this episode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, Dave, I'm hiring an engineer. Yes. In my mind— not even thinking about this, but I've I've got a picture in my head of what an engineer looks like. Mm -hmm. Where does that picture come from?
1: Uh, TV, your own life experience, stories you've heard, like all the usual suspects, right? So like like central casting of the mind. Yeah, exactly.
0: So I'm thinking hunched over, slightly pudgy, 25-year-old, cannot make eye contact with you. And the minute... And so I start hiring, and the minute that, that person shows up,
1: does something happen to my brain? Is it like there's a match? Uh, yeah, your brain says, thank you. Your brain says, I don't like uncertainty. And you giving me a picture of someone who matches the task I need to perform gives me certainty. Thank you so much. Let's, let's just stop now, right? Don't, don't show me anyone else. I finally found what the pattern I was like... You know, like, that game, that memory game where you had to, like, flip things over and find matches? It's like that. It's like your brain is always trying to do that. And when it finds a match, it's like, thank you, we can stop now, good night. So, well, wait. First of all, without leading you, Mm -hmm. is this a problem? (laughs) Um, If you are... uh, if you benefit from this, it is not a problem. It's awesome, right? If I am the pudgy white, like, you know, nerdy guy with sure. trying to make eye contact, the world is my oyster because if I uh-huh. want to be a developer, that is exactly what the world think, uh, thinks a developer looks like. If I, if I am in any other group and I want to be a developer, I now have a problem. Okay, so this is a problem. Yes.
0: We're not even, I mean, we were joking a little bit, but I mean, I've talked to a bunch of people, like, like I was just talking to a friend of mine who, she's a lady, and she's she's an engineer and she keeps being offered uh internships and she's been doing this for like 7 8 years Wow. she's very very good well, I'm sure. at engineering <laughs> but the minute that she shows up for a job interview they're like oh in, uh, intern
1: yeah and there's there's a there's a destructive loop I was talking with a real social scientist about this uh on on my podcast the other day um around if you have a job that uh, someone expects basically a white person to get and not a black person to get, the black person walks in the room and you know tries to get the job, the white interviewer starts to react as if the black person is having a bad interview. The black person having that experience now thinks they're doing badly and starts behaving badly, and you get this vicious circle going where the interview just falls apart. And they've scientifically, like, studied this and had people come in and have a white interviewer come a white interviewee come in and, like, suddenly, oh, they're being treated better, and so they think the interview is going better, and so the interview does go better. Like, that kind of stuff happens all the time.
2: Yeah, this is a big issue with music auditions, which is part of why blind auditions yes. started happening for orchestras.
1: The, absolutely. and um, And the same approach is being taken now around some of these tech jobs. So City of Philadelphia recently... Uh, started trying out a blind hiring approach for developers. And what they would do is they would literally print out the resume, have someone who is not involved in the hiring process take a you know magic marker and redact it by hand. Because even in tech, that's actually the most effective way to blind a resume. And the problem they ran into actually was as soon as you go to, um, let's say you find someone you like, um, as soon as you go to look at their GitHub profile, oh, wait, now I see all their personal information. Yeah. So they actually wrote a script, I think it was like a Chrome plugin that as soon as the GitHub profile started to load, it pulled out all the personal identifying information. And then to complete the circle, they put that code back up on GitHub so anybody can use it. It's actually there now if anyone wants to try this out.
2: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's actually what I did when I would give resumes to my boss at my first job because we totally had that problem. We also... I Just mean, redacting the name can go really far. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, we also... We're guilty of, of it when we when we write those postings.
1: Mm. How so?
0: We're looking for a rock star ninja to crush some code. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Like you know exactly what you're looking for when you write that. Yeah, that posting. That's a good point. And then it shows up. Yeah, or I should say he shows up. Yeah, various he's show up, and they look like rock star ninjas ready
1: to crush some code. Yeah, uh, it's coded into how. We we create that communication. And what's what's interesting, the reason I would encourage anybody who's really in any hiring position to at least try this approach is, so I work at a, a think company and we tried this out with our development apprenticeship. And I talked to the people who worked on it and what they say they learned was not just that it's really, really hard to do, <laughs> but also you learn very quickly what you actually care about when you're hiring for that position. So one of the people working on it told me, I had to start blinding the names of the companies these people worked at because that was influencing me. It's like, oh, no we used to work at Facebook. I suddenly think you must be better than this person who worked at a company I never heard of before. Of course that's not necessarily true, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. All I really need to know is like what skill, you know, you are you know, able to perform, yeah. which company you did it at can actually be a completely, it can be noise, right? Mm-hmm. It can be a, a, a false positive for skill, and that was something they didn't even realize they had a bias around until they started trying out this process That's interesting. You mentioned that they thought this was hard mm-hmm.
0: How much of this how much of the problem here is just that we're inherently
1: lazy? Oh that what I've learned by like studying cognitive bias is that thinking is hard. our brains can only do so much of it in a given day, so any opportunity it has to not do that work, it will say thank you like let's move on. And it's interesting because it's not that we are incapable of thoughtful practice in anything. Mm -hmm. Like, have you seen people try to order a latte? But it's where we choose to spend that energy, right? Do Mm -hmm. I choose to spend it on ordering that latte or do I choose to spend it on really looking carefully at do I pull my gun out when I see this black person in this car in this neighborhood? Right. Yeah. That is not a thing that a lot of thought necessarily gets put into. And what's interesting is in the cases where there are certain um, police precincts that have seen big drops in um, officer-involved shootings, mm-hmm. the training that has led to that is very often about stopping and thinking before you act, slowing down the, the training to slow down those interactions instead of training to escalate those interactions. When we can actually slow down and think about something, we're actually pretty good at making decisions. It's when we're tired, when we're rushed, when we're angry, when we're scared, that's when all hell breaks loose.
2: When like the tech we use every day is destroying all those processes. Oh yeah. Because there's just too many choices to make.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like our your your, your brain loves certainty and any opportunity you, you you have, any opportunity design provides to make an easy decision, <laughs> your brain thanks you for. Mm-hmm. So again, we're moving fast. We're breaking
0: things. Mm-hmm. The old Facebook motto. Mm-hmm. So how do we fix this? Cuz yeah, we're being lazy. Yeah. Like we're, so, we're we're making little brain shortcuts and it's hurting people. Yeah. It's it's hurting people's ability to get a job. It people are getting shot. Oh yeah. So this is obviously something
1: we want to fix. Yeah. And and the fixing it first I think it comes with an acknowledgment that cognitive bias is not something you fix it's something you leverage. And what I mean by that is you oh. don't you don't get rid of it. Because okay. you don't get rid of those shortcuts. Like I said, if we had to think carefully about every single decision we had to make, it's nothing happens, right? So it's a question of, I usually think about it from two directions. One is, are there existing biases that we can actually leverage for good? And an example of that would be the very sad fact that if something rhymes, we actually think it's more true.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And here, here's an example of using that for good. So if you look at the fact that most African-Americans do not trust health information that comes from the government. The, the numbers on, on it are just horrible. And, and this would be the topic of a whole other podcast. Very reasonable, <laughs> right, that that distrust exists. Yeah. Um, but this is information that could help save lives. How do you make it more trustworthy? Maybe you make it rhyme. Sure, yeah. Right? And mm-hmm. that sounds embarrassing and stupid and weird, but that it works. It straight up works. I'll give the federal government good credit for this. There, there are in fact – there's a plain language act of 2010, 2011 that actually says if you're a, you a, a, a website getting federal money for that website to promote some kind of service for your constituents, you must use plain language. Here's what we mean by plain language. Like you have to do that. If you are trying to offer a service, you need to make it easy for people to understand the service. Like those are the kinds of sort of institutional things that are leveraging a very basic bias around how we consume information. What does the government mean by plain language? So check out 18F sometime. They have fantastic Uh guidelines Mm -hmm. around what is and isn't plain language. The UK was really forward-looking on this. They have a whole service design component to their government. And again, they have very clear instructions around clear language and what that means and what has to be there in order for for people to understand and use it. And they arrived at it in a very similar fashion to good old-fashioned, you know, human-centered design. Let's talk to people. Let's find out what they understand. Let's design in a way. I mean, none of these, yeah, none of these the fixes- best Yeah,
2: that's the repository to follow because they actually talk about interesting things. Yeah, <laughs> that will be the other thing. They're yeah. on
0: GitHub. I'm going to miss right? the UK.
1: City of Oakland. <laughs> City of Oakland content guidelines are on GitHub.
2: Yeah. Like you, cool. can, and you
1: can request changes through GitHub if you find something wrong with their guidelines. Wow. Like that's the kind of stuff, at least at the governmental level, like I feel like is nudging in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, and this is where it becomes really dangerous, right? Those guidelines become defaults. And once you have a default set, it's really hard to undo it. Because yeah. that's, that's that's certainty, that's ease, right? And so we're lazy. Yeah, exactly. That's why, that's why public policy is so hard to undo once it's set. That becomes the default. It's so much easier to just go with it or make shortcuts around it than it is to ever try to change it. So we have to be super careful, right, about the things that that we create that become the defaults. You just scared the hell out of me oh, for sure. 2020, by the way. Oh, so not to put too fine a point on it. So 2020 will be, sadly, only the 100th anniversary of women getting the vote. <laughs> there would be so much significance, right, in <laughs> a female president getting elected then. But going back to that thing about defaults, the thing pushing so hard against that is, if I look at a list, if I look at a visual list of presidents, what do they all have in common? What pattern do I have to break Uh, to walk into a voting booth and say yes to this? Yeah. Um, I, I maintain that probably the greatest contribution Obama had as president was being a black man on nightly news who was not a criminal or a celebrity. Because for the longest time, if you turned on the nightly news and you saw a black person on the news, it was a criminal, right? Or maybe it was Michael Jordan or Prince, right? Like those were your options. And think about the impact that has when you hear about an officer-involved shooting, right? Oh, Mm -hmm. of course they shot the black guy because black guy equals criminal. I saw that. I see that every night. All of a sudden, for eight straight years, the black person you see on TV is the most powerful person on the planet. And there's kids who grew up with that. Yeah. My kid was born in December of 2008. And you spent the first eight years of his life with the most powerful man in the world looking very much like him. Yep. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. It, it, I, I, I still well up thinking about that. Yeah, and this then, is
2: going
1: to yeah. make me cry. Like I'm, so glad we, <laughs> I'm so glad we fixed racism. I know, right? <laughs> high fives all around. But I will, you know, I will bet cash money that you don't get the Black Lives Matter movement without that because yeah. it's not like people weren't shooting black people before that. It's that people didn't care until it seemed a little weird that black people were getting shot. Because, oh, wait, black doesn't necessarily equal criminal. Right. Well, it could mean the president of the United States. Wait, why did why did that guy get shot again? Right? I feel like that it's no coincidence yeah. that the Black Lives Matter comes along toward the end of Obama's presidency. So we broke a cognitive pattern. Yes. That's, that's part of the fix is to, and this is why it takes so damn long, <laughs> Like took eight years of the most powerful person on the planet being black but we got there, right? <laughs> so, so yeah, that's another thing is establishing different patterns. Um, like I know with our son, you know, one of the things that we you know want to get away from is how he perceives women, right? Um, we want to we be very thoughtful around that. And I, when we realized at a certain point, You know, he was asking us about female scientists, and even we—and my wife is a uh, cognitive—is a a pediatric neuropsychologist, right? She is a female scientist. Neither of us could really name more than two or three female scientists like Marie Curie. And as soon as we realized that, it was like, okay, we are buying a book that is chock full of female scientists, and at reading time, every night, we are going to read one of them. We are going to set up a pattern, right? So that when he thinks woman, he thinks scientist. When he thinks scientist, he thinks woman— so part of it is again like hijacking that bias to say, look, you're gonna have a default. I can't stop that, but let's make it a positive default. Mm-hmm. Right. So
0: how do we hijack the hiring default? If I'm a, a well-meaning yet lazy, because I'm a human being, sure. Hiring manager at a big company, and I, you know, I thought I'd been doing a great job, and then I turn around and I see my eighty-five percent white male team behind me, and I'm thinking, uh oh. Yeah. Help me, Dave. What can I do?
1: How should how should I start? So there's so there's two things, right? There's this notion of blind hiring which requires dedication and experimentation and there's already great resources out there around how cuz people have been trying this for a while now and they've learned so, things. Okay,
0: so right? number 1, you got to commit to doing the work. Yes. This is going to take work. This, yes. there's you're not here to offer easy you're not gonna, we're not going to Marie Kondo this year.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't give you Why any. must we
0: Stop! Just don't. Why <laughs> must we
2: mess with Maria Kondo? She's fabulous. She's
0: she's great. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: her her process is nothing but thoughtful. So I am not sure what you were Larissa, trying to point out.
0: How do bathrooms, kitchens, garages, and everything else in the world fit in one category?
2: They don't fit in one category. Yeah.
0: It, she's got. It's one not of by her...
2: room. That's the whole point. One she's her... introducing a new information architecture. Category
0: one is clothes. Category two is paper. I forget what category three is. But then category four is miscellaneous, which includes your garage, kitchen, bathroom, and everything else.
2: So I think you're seeing this problem in a flipped way, right? It's like you're assuming that the house should be filled with all of these things and we should have big houses. I think she's pushing against that.
0: Anyway, one of us
1: interrupted, Dave. It's gonna be hard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you have to you have to want it. Right. This is the you same thing. You have with to institutional want it. change. Okay. Right.
2: I also blame Aaron Sorkin by for this, by the way, because uh, social network just made this worse, that movie. How so? Because every scene they had of programmers. Oh, yeah. Was a single dude with headphones on. And that was the myth. And I don't know if it still is, but at least at that time, I was trying to get programming jobs and startups were very much thinking like, no, no, no. The whole thing is I get one dude in a corner and then money happens. And I feel like that that movie I really did enjoy, but I was so disappointed at how they really made that so public. Mm-hmm. Um, because it need not be the case, and there's lots of other ways to make software. And pair programming is like really helpful for debunking that. But at that time, it was still a battle to say like, "Hey, you're going to have two people doing this work together."
1: Oh, it it goes deeper, right? So or, I want to say it was in the early '80s when they started trying to market computers to kids, and there's this shift from sort of universal, oh, this is for the whole family, too. This is for boys. That's right. We're gonna market this to boys. Right. right. That had a very big impact on for decades to come on because think about it, those kids then grew up to be the programmers to then just again be careful of your defaults, then just market the same things to other people who looked like them. Yeah. So you have to very actively, you have to really want it and be willing to say, I am going to spend money on this. As soon as you really The way you know a company cares about something is when they spend money on it, Mm -hmm. like real money, when they leave money on the table about a thing. where they could be making more money if they did it the way that they used to, but they don't. That's when you know they care about it. So if a company says, look, it's going to take us, we're going to have to hire slower now, right? That's when you know they care is because most companies are concerned with growth, right? We need to grow fast. How do we grow fast? Well, part of it is we need to hire people. We need to hire them fast. If we're hiring, remember fast equals lazy and quick and biased. Slow means thoughtful. If you slow down your hiring process, that means you care more about hiring good and diverse people than you do about making money. Like that, it really comes down to that. But that's, that's part of what you have to do is to say, we're going to slow that down. And then if you really, 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 really care about it, you have to realize even if you do blind hiring, it's still a rigged game. Because the people applying for that job have already gone through so many barriers, they got a college education. Okay, boom! I've already knocked out God knows how many people of color and how many even women. Right? Um, they've already gotten through high school. I've knocked out a whole bunch of people. They've got. They're talking now about how around third or fourth grade, if you haven't started them, if you haven't started working on it by then, eh, you're going to lose most of them. Right? That's how bad it is. That's how early you have to think about that stuff. So the early steps, I'd say, are things like blind resumes. Let's at least start. Stop using gender and race to disqualify people. Mm-hmm. But even once you do that, the pool that you're hiring from has to be bigger. And that's a much longer game. That's you investing and in saying, oh, we need to talk about the public school system, right? <laughs> we need to talk about third rail issues like that yeah. before we really start fixing things.
2: And I would argue that in Silicon Valley, too, where there's kind of so much excitement over not caring about people where to s- if they did see us or whatever, Um for- in college that in a way they're also correcting back to their bias <laughs> yep. because instead of that being addressed by schools who are like admitting more people and getting those educations then you go out in the world and it's like oh yeah those educations aren't worth anything anymore you're like great yeah this was my way of blending in this new group of people and not be in being accepted because I had a credential and now the credential's being thrown out so I, I feel like I feel like people are maybe nervous about making uh, assumptions or about taking risks in hiring. Mm -hmm. And then it's also that that bias makes them feel better about that risk.
0: You know, the whole, the whole, we don't even have to go to college movement in Silicon Valley is like the most privileged thing. Like, check it out. I don't even have to get a college degree. I got it made. Yeah, we need to rethink that whole like, college is stupid thing. College is expensive as hell. I mean, college is. We, there's a thousand problems
2: with college. With college, but
0: <laughs> but Silicon Valley's whole, we don't. You don't need to go to college thing is just another sign of their their own douchiness.
2: Yeah, there was that Paul Graham quote about how there was a moment when he would just give funding to anybody who walked in with a hoodie and looked like Mark Zuckerberg because it was just crazy how successful that had been and he felt silly for having missed it so then he noticed later on his own bias towards yeah. that archetype.
1: Yeah, we like we like we love patterns, yeah. right? We love being able to pin success on one little thing. Right. Because that makes, again, it makes life easy. Right. I don't have to be thoughtful and, and and talk to people and understand things. I can just say, oh, he's wearing a hoodie. Great. By the way, that's it's so a, funny because hoodie there means something very different than it means right? for other people who have hoodies.
2: Absolutely. It's
0: amazing the life that a hoodie has, depending on
1: who buys mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, oh, I'm either going to give you a ton of money or I'm going to shoot
1: you for being in the wrong yes. place. Yeah. And, and the line is so, so thin, but that, and, 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 you know, to bring it back to design, like, I mean, that's our stock and trade is symbols, right? Design works because some work and patterns, right? Like we can't, you know, as, as user experience professionals, we cannot create anything lest there be a pattern that we can predict the user is going to understand.
0: Yeah. We count on people doing the same thing over and Absolutely. over and over again. Right. We put things in, in places where people have shown us they'll, they'll go to again and again and again.
1: Yep. Where do I look for careers when I come to a website, right? Upper right, footer, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's a pattern. That's a bias, yeah. right? Yeah. And if we didn't have that every time we designed a website, we have to say, okay, let's interview a 1,000 people and find out where they like to look for careers.
2: Absolutely, yeah. But that's also a good point, where people are pulling from will also impact the pool that they get, right?
1: Yeah, and that's part of the investment is you can default to the places you usually look for people. Or you can spend time and money and effort into looking places that you're not used to looking. Yeah. And even the way to your point about like the, 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 we were looking for a rock star ninja. So I have a friend who was doing some hiring, uh, Alex Hillman over at Indy Hall in Philly was doing some hiring around a position that was fairly unique. And his approach was not, in fact, to create a job description and post up and say, hey, you, you try to match this. He had a series of questions that were things like, you know, what can you tell me about Indy Hall, right? Or what, you know, um, where are you, like, in your career? Like, just very sort of almost weird, vague kind of questions, but ended up giving him a much better signal-to-noise ratio because the questions were based on what the job was ultimately going to, like, ask of that person and then the value it would have for that person. Mm. And that ended up being a much better match and pull from a much more diverse group than if he had just gone to, you know, Indeed and put up the 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 tagged, you know, job description that was only ever going to be seen by this same set of people who always see that job description, mm-hmm. even changing the approach to hiring can open up that pool in big, bad ways.
0: All right. So there's stuff that the people doing the hiring can do. It's going to be hard. Yeah. They got to want to do it. All right. Now, how do we solve the problem from the other side? People applying. Yeah. So... One of the things I see a lot is people looking at a, at a job posting and convincing themselves, this isn't for me. Mm. There's eight qualifications on here that it says I have to have, I only have six. This isn't for me.
1: Yeah.
0: How do we convince people to see through the bias of the job application and go ahead and apply for that job? Or, or by doing that, are we setting them up to fail? So I think that,
1: first of all, if someone hired us, you know, to design a resume, right? Or design mm-hmm. a job hiring flow, a service design job. I want you to design a, a, a job flow for um, people, for, for, for engineers. And we were to come back to them and say, okay, part of this job flow is you need to educate the people who are applying, right? Who are using this product to disregard the actual content you're pushing out about that product we would laugh ourselves out of the room right like I, I I tend to favor I tend to say that the the proof the burden of proof is on the person creating the job I absolutely thousand percent agree with you meanwhile mm-hmm. people need jobs oh sure and there are in fact like self-serving biases that do split a bit along gender around stuff like that where a man might look at a job like that and say, Yeah, I can, I can, I can do that, mm-hmm. right? Regardless of whether or not they're even remotely qualified. There's actually several Dunning Kruger, there's all sorts of biases yeah. actually around thinking you're better at a thing than you actually are. I don't know that you want to encourage that necessarily, <laughs> but that's that that's you're going to attract people. Like that's the problem you're describing. You're going to attract people who do have overconfidence bias. That those are the people who are not going to be deterred by stuff like that can can we just call these people men
0: yes generally okay, speaking great. that's
1: who they are yeah like that 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 tends to be there's actually all sorts of weird gender splits when it comes to self-confidence biases but yes yeah that that is in fact who will probably be hiring for that stuff honestly, I don't know I don't I don't know that there's a good way to code something to train I mean I get very conflicted about this because i I do for example, like I do like speaker training and I, I talk to people about um how to be more confident when they give talks or when they even have to present their designs. And it gets tricky because I can say, here are some things that have worked for me. But if I'm giving that instruction to a woman, I have to be very real with her and say, look, it would be stupid of me to tell you that when I walk in that room and I'm giving a presentation and I'm using these techniques, that the person watching me give a talk is not aware that I'm a man and that that is in no way influencing how much confidence they think I'm exuded, how much they think they should be listening to me. So understand that the techniques I'm telling you about right now are no substitute for or in no way going to necessarily mitigate the fact that you are already going to be at a disadvantage for a lot of the rooms you're walking into because a lot of the rooms you're walking into, the people in that room already have a bias that they shouldn't really, even your voice, they might start to have a bias against because that's a thing that people have been coded and patterned to. It's terrible. So that, and, and the reason I bring that up is to sort of say, I can train you and say, look, when you see this job description, three out of four things there, don't, don't even worry about that. Here's the, here's the problem they're actually trying to solve. And you need to pitch them as solving that problem. They will not even care whether you can actually do these other things because I'll tell you all of your male counterparts, that's how they're pitching themselves, mm-hmm. right? Um, at the same time, I'm basically having to tell you how to play a rigged game. And I don't feel great about that, but to your point, people need jobs. Right. But I have to feel like, okay, this is the Band-Aid, right? This is the blind resume Band-Aid until we get to the point where, oh, no, people really do have a better pool to hire from. People really have better patterns set up in their head. That's the long game. But the short game, to your point, it may be a lot about saying, look, here's the game. Here's how it's rigged. Here's how to, here's how to hack it.
0: Well, this may be part of fixing the rigged game because, you know, the biggest excuse that I hear from people is oh, I can only hire the people who show up.
1: That old chestnut. Yeah.
0: Right, so we gotta talk people and showing up. Yeah, you got anything you wanna add?
2: I don't know. I think I think a lot of it too. When I've asked people about this, they'll often go to the oh, we hire like whoever is the most competent for the job. Like I've I've openly asked many companies like oh, so what is your position for hiring women in this role? And they'll say oh, we're totally open to any qualified candidate. And I feel like the unspoken thing behind that is. Too bad there's not enough women who are qualified candidates. Uh-huh. And then the conversation ends.
0: Is this places where you've worked?
2: Yeah. I just find it interesting that that is even something people will say. Period. <laughs> imagine imagine anything else, right? Imagine being like, so why is this product so shitty? And it's like, well, it's as good as it can be for the time that we put into it. You know, it's just like <laughs> it's such a cop-out answer. And it's something that, you know, it doesn't affect their bottom line. So and I, I, I don't know, I, I was yeah. not jumping in because honestly, I, I have a very negative view of this and I don't think it's going to get better.
1: Well, and that's, and, and, and to your point, right, that that's, if you don't really want it, right. If the company in question doesn't really give a shit about diversity, even if you did go out and find the candidates, right? They'd look at them and they would find some other excuse because their default had that position, a lot. <laughs> the thing that yeah. they actually, let's let's talk about jobs to be done for diversity, right? The job to be done for that is some sort of PR, you know, nightmare aversion, right? What is the least I can do? We see this with accessibility yeah. all the time. Yeah. What is the least I can do to get whatever that rating is so I don't get sued, mm-hmm. right? right? That is not a company that, gives a shit about accessibility, that is a company that gives a shit about not being sued. That's right. And yeah. To some extent, that does make the world a slightly more accessible place. But at the end of the day, they're always, the second they have a chance to not be accessible, the second they have a chance to spend the money differently, they will. A perfect example of this is environmental regulations. What is the sign curve, right, on the up and down and back and forth of environmental regulations over time where it's this like, hey, we got this, you know, EPA thing uh, passed, um, okay, great. That's great. We're gonna we're gonna abide by that, and then spend millions on lobbyists getting that thing revoked, so we can go back to doing things the way we want to, right? As long as the companies are doing that, the, those sort of short term solutions, I feel the problem is you're you're just constantly slapping on band aids. Like the long, it, it, it's in the end, it always has to be about the long game of just the better companies surviving, right? And that long arc of history where it's like, oh no, actually, the people who run these companies over here actually want the world to not fall apart, <laughs> actually want to not pollute, and are actually looking for ways to pollute less, not ways to get around the regulations that are trying to make them pollute less. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That, that at the end of the day, and until you get to that point, anything you do is going to be the whole game of, okay, I'm going to pretend. I'm going to say something
2: that won't get me in trouble. That won't really be an answer. That's yeah. kind of a cop out response and and not solve this problem. Yeah, I think until it, it actually negatively impacts the business to not hire more people. And there's a lot of talk right now, like, oh well if you include more people, your design solutions are better. Oh, yeah. I don't think businesses are that convinced of that. There's not a lot
1: of case studies. They're not even that convinced of human-centered design. That's right. <laughs> They're not and even that so convinced we're... of experience design. they, that's right. they, they still think that engineers are the people who should make the most money because that's the people who have been making them the most money. Yeah. Facebook just reported in a profitable quarter. Oh yeah. They in after the, probably all, the worst public opinion situation they've had. They they like doubled or something ridiculous like that. After
0: all of the crap that they've done
1: in yeah. the last year, after all of the shit that they actually got
0: caught doing. Yes. And had to admit was true, they ended up having
1: a really profitable oh, yeah. quarter. And as soon as I heard that, I'm like, oh, we have just told them, keep up the good work. Exactly. <laughs> it, yeah, I can't, man.
0: <laughs> is there any
1: solution other than burning it all down? Uh, I, I get so tempted to burn it all down, but here's the funny thing. Here's the absolutely funny thing about burn it all down. That is another cognitive bias. One of the biases that I personally suffer from the most is called zero-risk bias. Zero-risk bias basically, if you give someone, um, say someone, hey, we're going to give you this experiment, and in the experiment, there's a 5% chance that you'll receive a mild electric shock. But if you pay me $10, there will only be a 1% chance. Um, If you pay me $100, there'll be like a 0% chance. People will rather pay the $100 to get the 0% chance than pay the $10 to get the 1% chance because the idea of being able to put something to rest and not even have to think about it is so comforting. Is this like Ivy League jackass, these examples? Oh, there's this weird theater of cruelty that goes on with some of these like cognitive bias experiments because they're mostly done on college students, but um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So so for me, the whole notion of oh like this world can only be cleansed with fire, right? You read the you read the comment section of something and you're like oh my, or you hear just the latest shit Trump said, and you're like yeah. oh my god, this world can only be cleansed with fire. Like what's comforting about that is the notion of like. You know, just nuke the site from space. It's the only way to be sure. Like, everything is gone. I don't have to think about the hard work, right? The hard, again, the slowed down, really thoughtful, difficult process of thinking, okay, let's untangle this. We're dealing with human beings here who elected him. Because even if Trump were to disappear tomorrow, these 60 million people who voted for him are still here, and there's 60 million of them, Right. That's not something you untangle with a magic wand. That's like, no, you have to think thoughtfully about that. And you have to fight and continue to fight. We still have Nazis. They're back. We can't even we can't even hand wave that. They're back and we're making money from them. Yes, we're actively <laughs> courting them. That's part of the onto way our back. platforms, <laughs> and the fact that you realize, we, like, who's this said, like, you know, the the price of uh, freedom is always being vigilant, something like that. I'm mean, going to completely screw it up, but but at the end of the day, it's, you realize, oh no, this isn't. Commanding Cisco and forget from Deep Space Nine. It. There you go. There's no, there is no set it and forget it, which is like the most depressing and yet most invigorating thing to know. Is like, no, there is no burn it all down. Even if you were to burn it all down, you'd probably just create a whole new set of problems.
0: Yeah, that's like, where do you bury all those Nazis? That's (laughs) the
1: the letter from Birmingham Jail. um, I recently did an episode about because I wanted to do an episode just about the quote. We just had MLK Day, and. There was a lot of conversation on social media about um, Martin Luther King is not here to comfort you, white people. He's here to confront you. And they would pull up these quotes that were, like, really confrontational, like, hey, white liberals are actually more of a problem for me than the KKK. And so I wanted to kind of unpack that because there's actually a lot of cognitive biases to talk about there. And I'm like, oh, wait, where did that come from? Oh, the letter from Birmingham jail. I haven't actually read that. Let me read that. Oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, I came to the party, you know, 60 years late. But there's a lot in there. One of the things he talks about is— There are two groups, two African-American, two black groups he was actually having difficulty with. One one was sort of people who were either, you know, moderates or who basically had just become accustomed to segregation. Like, again, they just it was the default now. And it was easier to just live with it than to fight it, which it was. I mean, you you risked dying. On the other side were militants who were like, burn it all down. We're out. Like, I, I literally don't believe in democracy. Like, and I have no evidence to believe in it. It just burn all of it down. Like let's not even let's not engage with it at all. And he found either approach to be useless. Like it wouldn't really solve anything. The mm-hmm. approach he had, which was, and and when I looked at that, I thought, oh, both sides kind of like have this zero risk bias thing of like it's much simpler to say it can't be solved, or it's much simpler to say burn it all down. The difficult path is the middle path of saying it can be fixed, and it's going to be fucking hard. And yeah. that's what he was doing. And when you look at the strategy behind non-resistance, which wasn't just, okay, let's go in and have a Senate. It's like, no, first we need to talk to the local government. First we need to assess what's going on, which involves talking to lots of people. Then we need to assess whether or not the government is willing, the local government is willing to actually work with us, which is a whole bunch more work. And then if not, then we have to go off and train. They would train for these things very rigorously. And then, and like, this is months of work. This is hard work. And it is so much easier to just say, um, let's just leave, right? <laughs> or let's just shoot people. Like, that is so much easier than, oh, crap, there's actually a methodology to follow. There's actually all the stuff we need to do mm-hmm. if we want to get things done. Mm-hmm. And so whenever, I, so whenever I have those those dark nights of the soul world, am like, oh, my God, I wish we could just burn it all down. I try to remind myself, yeah, but this, this, this is actually supposed to be hard.
2: Yeah, I'm actually really psyched in some ways that technology has started to break everything mm-hmm. because it, will force an examination of how we've been building things.
1: Well, yeah. And and, and this is, like, to me, the exciting opportunity mm-hmm. uh, comes when I think about AI.
2: Yeah. And
1: this idea that we've trained AIs. Like, the, there's the whole thing where they trained an AI on Google Images, and mm-hmm. it started associating images of women with images of kitchens, or images of kitchens with images, you know. And it's because of the data set, right? <laughs> Do you remember, so,
0: remember
1: Google Photos? Mm.
0: What, what about them? The gorilla problem?
1: Oh, yeah, right. Do you know how they fixed that? No. They deleted gorilla as a category. Yeah. See, that would be the, the lazy way out, right? But the opportunity there to me is, okay, it was training on, quote unquote, the real world. It was, it was training on the data set of pictures that were actually out there because yeah. the data set of pictures that were out there were created by humans who were sexist. What if we reversed that whole thing to say, well, if we wanted it to have it return a set that was A, more realistic, and B, not sexist, We'd have to think about a different data set, wouldn't we? Which means we'd have to all agree and say, well, what world do we want? Hmm. That, to me, is the interesting opportunity. That, to me, is the moment. The even, dare I say, profit-driven moment, right? To say it's actually useful for us to sit down now and say, what do we want? It is very clear what we don't want. And we've become very good at talking about that. But at what point do we sit down and say this we do it at every kickoff, right, as as designers. What's the goal? What does success look like? We need to do that for, you know, America. What does success look like? Yeah. Let me throw another wrench
0: in the works. Please. We're talking about hard, long-term solutions to a very difficult problem. And we work within an industry that thinks very, very, very short-term. Oh, my. Yes. Very short-term. Like— I'm investing $10 million in your company, and you have three years to turn that into a billion dollars, or I walk. Yeah. And you're done. I sell you for off for parts. So you're not thinking long-term strategy. You're thinking I need to succeed
1: so I can get this money. So I can get paid. Yeah. And if that's all you want, like, my, my advice to you, to be perfectly blunt, is go into drug dealing. It is a much faster way to make money, a much really more surefire is. way to it make really money. Like, like, I don't understand why— and I I get it. Like I think a lot of people enter into it's the startup game. It's recession proof too. Yes. Oh yeah. my god. Yes. Either that gonna... or hedge funds. Honestly, because even if there's a big you know bank bust, you'll get bailed out. Like yeah, same same. The the, really. the exactly right. Like if 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 money is truly all you care about, there are so much better ways to do it than to sort of pretend to care about society and build something that's supposed to be useful and then use to screw people over. Like that's, you know, and and I get it that people come into that thing thinking, oh, I'm not here just to make money. I'm here because I have this great idea. Like that's the myth. But if your approach to that is, and again, this goes back to cognitive bias, the pattern, right? The pattern we've seen since 2000 has been, you have a really clever idea and you raise a bunch of money and then the idea pays off and and now I'm rich, and I'm, I'm awesome, right? That that becomes—people begin to think it's not even a choice. That the way you structure your business, you have no choice. You have to do it this way. Right. You have to find investors who are going to, like, try to get 10x later. And they don't realize that, no, when you decided to structure your company that way, when you decided that was how you were going to make money, that was an actual choice. You had other options, but you, it may not even have occurred to you that you had other options. But there's all sorts of ways to structure your business. There's all sorts of ways to try to think of delivering a product— And not all of them involve 10x profit, but a lot of them still involve being human, providing something of value, and actually living pretty comfortably. Dave, where else can we
0: hear you go on about
1: (laughs) cognitive bias if, if I wanted more? Sure. So I have a podcast that's called Wait for it. What? The Cognitive Bias Podcast. No. <laughs> because I was so imaginative when I named it. <laughs> that was my own, my own laziness. My own bias was to call it the Cognitive Bias Podcast. So you can find that. Um, and I, once a week, you know, just uh, drop a few minutes of, you know, me blathering on about one particular bias. And we focus in on it for the 10 minutes or so. And then the Ooh, next week we move on to another one.
2: That's fun.
1: And I can find that at the typical podcast places all, all of where. All Yeah. Yeah. Any, it's, it's it's on all the platforms now, even some that I've never heard of. And if people should want to talk to you further or hire you even for, t- for doing things, where can they reach you? Sure. So the hiring thing, I work for a uh, very wonderful company called Think Company. And we do all sorts of uh, wonderful work uh, in, in the realm of experience design. And I do a lot of content strategy for them. And if you want to holler at me, I am at movie underscore pundit that's at M-O-V-I-E underscore P-U-N-D-I-T on Twitter that's a simple enough way to find me because and this is something we didn't even
0: have time to get into he used to be a filmmaker before he got into all of this
2: stuff
1: mm. yeah and I still try from time to time to to, to, to make the movies there. but yeah that's, that's where I started
2: that's awesome yeah right yeah
1: I'll, I'll have to come on some other time when we can chat all about movies. Ooh, Lord, we could talk about that. That's going
2: be this. a more <laughs> fun, less sad podcast.
1: That'll probably involve alcohol
0: and arguing.
1: <laughs>
0: you, yeah. you As with movies, it always does. Yeah, you don't have good taste in movies. What? That's just rude. You, no, you like the Lobster. That's a terrible movie. Oh my God!
1: Can and we I just like, like the get over that? I don't know yes. it. <laughs> I don't know if I enjoyed it, <laughs> but I really liked it. It's, it's yeah, a, a horrible, exactly. I didn't enjoy it. It's a horrible. Have you seen your favorite? So good. Right?
2: Yeah.
0: Favorite is great. Oh. Lobster. I told you that. <laughs> I'm fair. <laughs> I am fair. The Favorite is a great movie. The Lobster sucks.
2: I get it. You're a man. You have the definitive taste. Wow! Tell me, tell me what movies to enjoy. And I'll, like.
0: I'll tell you what to enjoy. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll give you a list. All right. I'll explain to you why the list is good. Too. Okay.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and then
1: explain how lists work. And then explain.
2: <laughs> I don't think I would ever want to see the lobster again.
1: Yeah. I. I but. I, 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 but. I, yeah.
2: You know, being someone where, like, all my friends are coupling up really fast and getting married, it was very satisfying. Perhaps you just don't remember this phase of your life.
0: No, all my friends are on their third marriage now. See? Because I'm so old, Larissa. (laughs) But thanks for the millennial viewpoint on it.
2: Millennials aren't a thing. (laughs) Not a thing.
0: How's Philly? Philly's good.
2: We didn't even talk about the East Coast and the East Coast edition.
0: Can we talk about that Frank Rizzo statue? Oh, People I don't can't even hear know. that. Say that again. The Frank Rizzo statue. But what about it? When is it coming down?
1: Oh, God. <laughs> well, I mean... I, I honestly don't know. How hard can it be
0: to get rid of it?
1: Because in every other way, the Philly... Like, the city government is actually being surprisingly progressive, right? right. They have... They, like I talk about like service design. They have straight up service design people. They are paying people good money to be full-time service designers and content. They are more content strategists than just about anyone else in Philly. Like they are, they have their shit together when it comes to sort of think they being very thoughtful and progressive about that piece of the world. I have Whoa. no idea how that translates that. into a Frank Rizzo statue still being there. That is an excellent it's, point. It's shameful. <laughs> it is shameful that it's there. Yeah. I, I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> we should, we should just go. <laughs> like I see it being pulled and toppled down like the Saddam statue back in the day. Like oh it feels like God. something that should happen, yes. and then tossed in the school.
0: Yes, God, darkest fucking time in our history, and we build a statue up for it. We do kind of do that, though, don't we? <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> we yeah,
2: that's we, a thing. We
0: got a little statue problem. <laughs> yeah, we do.
1: <laughs> I think I think I tweeted once. I will be fine with the Confederate statues staying up if and only if we also make a statue for every single slave who ever lived. Oh, yeah. yeah
2: you yeah. do that,
1: great. Keep all your Confederate statues. I'm happy. Fair enough. <laughs> Dave, it's been an honor and
0: a pleasure to have you on our podcast. Thank Same you so me. much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh,
2: what, a, what, a, what a nice guy. Mm-hmm. And spent so much time with us. So yeah. generous.
1: Yeah. yeah. My pleasure.
2: If you want to... Ask us something about this podcast. You can go to our Twitter, just Vod Rocks V O D underscore Rocks R O C K S. I think you can also ask Siri to listen to this podcast. But really, yeah, but I forget how it goes because I don't iPhone.
0: Also, I've never gotten Siri to work.
2: Yeah, but there's something where you can be like Siri, play Vod, which is kind of cool. I think
0: I think Siri is how the NFL got Maroon Five to play the Super Bowl. (laughs) Because
1: if you ask it to play something, it's always maroon five <laughs> You're
2: like, what 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 cognitive bias is that
1: that's that's series own bias it's, it's biased to maroon Five, apparently yeah. by the way, Eagle's still NFL champs today, yeah yeah, just <laughs> <laughs> one more day to, to enjoy that, <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: wow, so sad for you, okay, all right
0: I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> But uh, tune in next week when uh, we'll do something different than this week, I suppose. <laughs> hit, the, hit the switch there.